Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ram Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. ministered to me. There have been too many to, 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 to count, too many scriptures, too many passages, too many stories that God's used to impact my life over the past month, but I just want to share one. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you are new to Ramp, um, my name's Joe, and along with my wife Stacy and a whole lot of other awesome people, we, we, we have the pleasure of leading this community. I met someone um, just before service, and I asked um, them how long they've been coming to Ramp Church, and they said, oh, just on and off, and they, they said, how long have you been coming to Ramp Church? <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> a long time. It kind of started in my living room. <laughs> so that shows you've been away for a minute. That's what that shows, um, and I love that. It just means that other, other incredible people have, um, have been leading this, and that's what it takes. It takes a community of people. So Mark chapter number 10, we're going to read verses 46 through 52, one of my favorite stories in Jesus' life. This story is in all three synoptic gospel, gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and any time there's a story that's repeated, we need to lean in because John tells us when he wrote about Jesus, he said there's so much that Jesus did that all the books in the world couldn't contain it. And I'm reading through a biography right now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's biography, and it's, it's like so long, right? Hundreds and hundreds of pages about one life, okay? Um, the, the Gospels are little short letters. They're, they're, not, the, they're not everything Jesus did. The writers are just very efficient with their language. They're, they're, they're choosing to include this one. They, they went, well, there's so many miracles. Like, which one do we put? And the ones they chose, they feel like represent something about Jesus they want us to learn. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include this story. And there's something that's really neat about this story. We're about to read about a man called Bartimaeus. It's really neat that we know his name because he's the only person that Jesus healed outside of John that we know their name. Nobody else that Jesus healed did, did, did the writer include their name. So here, here we have Bartimaeus' name. Look at this, Mark chapter number 10 and verse 46. And they, they the, the they in this verse is Jesus and his followers. They came to Jericho, and as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So Jesus was with his disciples. He was traveling from Judea where he lived, which is north, north Israel. This is not a geography lesson. North Israel down to Jerusalem, and he's going through Jericho. So Jericho's on the way. And he's going there because he's going to a feast, a Jewish-like religious feast. So there's like thousands of people like traveling to, to, to Jerusalem. It's like a throng of people. And Jesus is traveling with them because all, all the Jews went to Jerusalem for this feast. He's traveling with him, and along the way, he's preaching. He's telling stories. He's healing folks. So there is a huge crowd of people. And Jericho was a wealthy town, so Bartimaeus was a smart dude, so he's begging outside of Jericho. 
So, um, if, 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 if you're homeless, you probably want to beg and like hail or altering them, all right? Just a little tip there, guys. That's what Bartimaeus is doing. He's hanging out in Jericho, and Jesus is with a crowd of people walking by, and a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. I love that he, that he included that, by the roadside. Later on, we're going to see that, that Bartimaeus actually then travels on the road with Jesus. See, there's little clues like this. One of the things I think Mark's trying to say is he was, he was marginalized. And then after the healing, he's walking on the road. Because that's what Jesus does is he pulls people from the margins into the story of what he's doing in the world. Regardless of the way they see themselves or society sees them. So that's why Mark includes a little detail like that. So Bartimaeus was on the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked Bartimaeus, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying, Take heart, or, or, or have courage, or um, cheer up. Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, or Rabboni, it's the same word. Let me, cons- re- let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. So Jesus is walking by with a throng of people. And I'm sure many people were yelling. It's quite loud. And Jesus hears someone crying out from the margins, and he stops. And I just even want you today to realize that Jesus, when we cry out from a place of sincerity and need and faith, he stops. I even want to I want you to picture him. There's a crowd of people. You're in a crowd right now. It's a large group of people here. But you are not nameless or faceless to him. And in the middle of that busyness, he hears the sound of faith. It's louder than any other tone in his ears. It's the sound of faith coming towards him. This is also the first time in Mark's gospel anybody calls Jesus son of David. And the first thing I just want to identify is, oh gosh, there's so much in this passage that's rich. Um, it's just deep. But if we, if we read earlier in Mark chapter 10, we see that there was another story of a rich young ruler. You familiar with the story? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And... Um, Ultimately, the rich young ruler decides not to follow Jesus. Then we come to the next, the next story where the disciples are, are come to Jesus and ask if we can sit at your right hand and your left hand. Some agendas in Jesus' followers. Jesus says, that's not for me to decide, ultimately. But can you, can you live this life of a disciple? And now we have Bartimaeus, who I believe is Mark's... Um, He is his model for what it looks like 
to follow Jesus. And I think he's trying to show us this in the middle of, of, of all these stories. Isn't it amazing that Bartimaeus could see Jesus even though he couldn't see Jesus? He didn't have physic, the physical capacity of sight, but he could see Jesus in a way no, none, of, none of the other people in Mark chapter 10 could. The point that he even identified him as the son of David. Nobody else was crying that. Nobody else in Mark's gospel up to this point had even said that. That was, of course, a messianic. He was identifying, you're going to come restore the world. You're going to make all things new. That's what he's saying. In the middle of his own blindness, he's declaring that you are the one who's going to come and make all wrong things right. You know what faith starts? It doesn't start by receiving it doesn't start by receiving what you're after. It starts by seeing Jesus for who he really is. Before Bartimaeus got his eyes, he really had his sight. And his sight was the ability to see Jesus. Uh, just imagine, okay, so Bartimaeus probably lived for years by that roadside in Jericho. When did he first start hearing about Jesus, this man who's going around healing? Someone told him stories. I mean, at some point, someone came to him and, hey, there's a healer around. And at some point, that, that was part of his devotional life. He's like seeking God because he was a praying priest, a Jew, so he's praying. He's seeking. And at some point, God revealed to him, this is not just a healer. This is my son, the Savior of the world. So Bartimaeus cries out, not just, hey, healer, come help me. He didn't even ask for that at first. He says, he, his first call to Jesus was, I know who you are. And I want to tell you, if you're just starting your journey with, with, with God, let me tell you, that's the best place you can start. I know who you are. Why do we start every service with worship? Because, because what positions you to find anything in your life with God is, I know who you are. Not I have it all figured out. Not I'm the perfect Christian. Not I was raised right or my, my parents, you know, they got me on the right road. Or not I have the perfect career. I've got, I've got all the answers. I know who you are. That's where it starts. It's where everything else in discipleship and faith starts. I know who you are. The next thing Bartimaeus does is part of our walk with discipleship as well. We can see Mark records that he threw his cloak aside. Do you remember that? Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And Bartimaeus, throwing off his cloak, sprang up and came to Jesus. That, that's a detail that's easily missed for us because we don't understand the, the point of a cloak in that day uh, uh, right offhand. But for Bartimaeus, that would have been his most valuable possession. First of all, it would have been safety for him because um, by law he would have been required to identify himself as blind somewhere on his cloak. Um, because it was an agrarian society, so it's not like there's like stoplights, right? <laughs> right? There's, there's horses carriages coming by. So for his own safety, people needed to know this dude is blind on the side of the road. He may cross at any moment. So for his own safety, but it was also it's how he kept himself warm at night. He, he wouldn't have had his own profession. So he's, he's probably warming himself. Scholars, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of guess at why we would know his name. 
Um, one could be because he was prominent, like people would have known him. We actually know his dad now, right? Son of Timaeus. So, so either Mark's alluding to his family. This is a prominent family, and their son is now begging, or because he's actually in the community of faith. So Mark is saying, hey, you guys know Bartimaeus. Well, here's, here's where Jesus found him. So he's telling a story about someone who's in their church. So, so Bartimaeus would have had this garment on. Now, it would have been his warmth at night, but it's also he would have laid it out in front of him while he was begging, and it's where people would have put money. So it's how he gathered his money. So it's likely that Bartimaeus actually had this laid out in front of him at that moment. So when he threw it aside, it was probably full of money. And if you're wondering, well, how, how do I know I'm seeing Jesus rightly? The way you know you're seeing Jesus rightly is because by what you're willing to lay down when he calls you. Because when you realize he's not just the savior of my life, but the savior of the world, there's nothing worth keeping to find him. And when I play that kind of tug of war, well, you know, who is this that's calling me? This is what the rich young ruler went through. He said to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? When Jesus asks you a question and you, after you ask him a question, it's not because he's wondering what the answer is. He's wanting you to do some reflection. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. What was he trying to say? You're calling me good but you don't actually think I'm God. Why did the rich young ruler leave and didn't follow Jesus? Because he thought he was talking to a teacher. He didn't realize he was talking to Jesus, son of David. Bartimaeus comes now, and the reason why he's, the reason why he's so effortlessly casts aside his entire livelihood is because he had a revelation of the one who was calling his name. How do you know? You're seeing him rightly by what you're willing to lay down when he calls you. But the other thing Bartimaeus did was he didn't just lay aside his livelihood. He laid aside his identity. And he did it before he knew he would get his eyes. So here's, the, here's this garment that identifies who he is. And before he has the solution to his problem, faith says, whatever I find in his presence, is better than the identity I'm clinging to right now. See, we live, in a, we live in a time where identities are in flux. I can change my identity every day. right? My identity is based on what I desire, what I want in life. The problem with this is that we're missing a transcendent identity that can only be found in God. And Bartimaeus realized that. When we embrace Jesus' identity, when we see him for who he really is, that's only when we can find our own identity. Because you are found in him. Why, though, why is this so profoundly transforming? Because until you realize that your identity is rooted in God, you will search for your identity in a thousand lesser places. And Bartimaeus realized, when I can see him for who he really is, I can find myself. We seek identity as, we seek a successful identity based on our achievements. We seek 
an identity as being a beautiful person in the acceptance of others. We seek an identity as confident based on our financial or relational stability. We seek identity of being valued based on how unique we are. This goes much deeper, of course, into our sense of purpose, our sexual identity, our ethnic and national heritage, and so on and so on and so on. Not that those are unimportant, but if those are the primary source of our identity, we will constantly be tossed to and fro. The reason why Bartimaeus so effortlessly cast that aside is because he found the source of true identity. We're standing right in front of him. So before he even got his eyes, he knew he was getting something greater than his eyes. I'm finding the one who is the source of all life. Something profound happens when you see Jesus for who he really is and find his perspective of you, that you are God's son or daughter, John 1, 12. You're Jesus' friend, John 15, 15. You're a member of Jesus' own body, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You're established, anointed, and sealed by God himself, 2 Corinthians 1. You're God's workmanship, Ephesians 2. You're God's co-worker, 2 Corinthians 6. You're secure in him. You are not alone. You're growing. You're a disciple. You've been prepared by God to belong and make an impact. You're a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, a temple for the living God. When that's your everyday lived reality, everything else changes. Everything else finds its rightful place. The next thing I love about Bartimaeus is how alive and real and tangible his desperation was. See, we live, we live in a, a time where need and the recognition of need, the admittance of need is seen as weakness. Um, I, I can't really need anybody else. That's not right. You know, I'm supposed to be the strong one. Like, I, I need to be the person everybody else needs. Like, that's my goal in life. The, 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 the idea that I need somebody else, we're radically individualistic. So we don't just gain our identity from ourselves. Nothing outside of me can tell me who I am. But we want all of our sustenance in life to come from myself. I'm self-sufficient. Like, that's one of the, that's one of the biggest... Things that, that we aspire to in, in our culture. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anybody. But the kingdom works differently. The whole fact that it's a kingdom recognizes there's a community. I have a need. And Bartimaeus doesn't have any, any, he doesn't have any problem making his need known. To the point that the people who were in the in crowd, they were trying to get him to shut up. And Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus is like, you don't understand what I need. And I'm... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to so recognize my need that I'm going to let my desperation be seen to the point that it makes you uncomfortable. And I'm not going to be uncomfortable with my own desperation. I'm going to live it on the outside. And here's what I found about all of us. All of us have those needs. We just cover them up. But faith is saying, I'm going to let my desperation be evident. And let me just speak to those of you who are Christians like, yeah, but I've been Christian for a while. You don't understand my life. You know, I'm not desperate anymore. I live with, I live with Jesus. But here's what I want to tell you. We are called as Jesus followers to cultivate sustained desperation. It's one of the reasons why we have seasons of fasting. Because we put ourselves in a place where we choose desperation because that reflects our actual desperation. 
our actual dependence upon God. This is Romans 8. All of creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. What? All of creation is groaning for when God comes and makes all things new. To be a Jesus follower is to position ourselves in sustained desperation. I'm going to choose to groan with all of creation. I'm going to choose to recognize the needs in the world around me, and I'm going to be an advocate for their needs and cry out to the God that they don't know yet. I'm going to position myself there in that place, and I'm going to, I'm going to express the desperation to the only, uh, the only source that can fix their need. Are you hearing me? So the, it, it, it's supernatural to sustain that type of desperation. To not like go over into comfort or apathy or complacency. If you wonder why, you, you come into our pre-service prayer space here from, from 9.30 to 10.30. If you've not been yet, I would love to invite you to that space. 9.30 to 10.30 right here um, at Oasis. Oh, If you haven't been to that, it, it, when you do come in, you'll, you'll notice people are pacing. People are rocking. You're like, what is happening? I came to the 11 o'clock. I thought they were weird. Now I know they're weird. What is that? Sometimes it's just physical, it's just physical actions where I'm trying to express this sustained desperation. When I walk the streets of Manchester sometimes, especially on weekend nights, and I see just throngs of young adults, young people coming in and out of clubs, and I realize Many of these, if not most, have never been prayed for in their life. There's not a person in their life praying for them. There's not a person in their life that's believing that God has an answer or hope. Why do I have sustained desperation? Because there's a world that needs my desperation. There's a world that's desperate and I'm going to be desperate for them. They don't even know yet what they're believing for but I'm going to. That's why I'm going to come pre-service prayer and I'm rocking for them. I'm pacing for them. I'm declaring the word for them. The, the, the call of a Jesus follower is a call of sustained desperation. We can see this expressed. This is, this is, uh, this is where I'm, I'm going to land in Jesus' question. In verse 51. Jesus said to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? That, that question like gets on my nerves. Can I say that about Jesus? Is that? Like, isn't it obvious? <laughs> like, I was calling out, I'm coming to you, I can't see you. Like, isn't it obvious? But there's something about vocalizing what your need is to God. It takes courage to declare your need. You know what I've, you know one of the things I've found about ministering in the West, especially in, the, in the, the affluent society that we live in, is the hardest people to reach are people who don't recognize they need anything. The easiest people are probably the poor and the ultra wealthy. Because the poor, they live, with, they live aware of their needs every day, day in and day out. And the ultra wealthy have had it all and they realize it doesn't satisfy. It's empty. But that middle group where most of us live, now we live in a diverse community so there's people all over, right? But where most of us are in between, our needs aren't extreme enough 
to, to, to cause desperation. And we, we just kind of have, have enough to keep us in a place of apathy and complacency. So I believe one of the reasons this question is important to Jesus is because he wants us to get in tune with our own need. He wants Bartimaeus to vocalize what he wants from God for a couple reasons. Number one, self-understanding. You understanding your own self starts with getting honest about your own desires. Your pursuit of God will be limited by your willingness to admit your own needs in God's presence. You're hearing me. And the second reason is, is because what you ask Jesus for reveals the way you see him. What you're believing him for reveals who you think he is. What do you want? Sometimes I ask people that and their response is, well, I just want whatever God wants. I just want whatever God And I, I, I get that. I mean, I think I've been at times and seasons where I'm like that. But I mean, I think my response to that is, well, okay, well, what does God want? And like, how do you know when he's going to give that thing to you? Like, how do you know when he answers his prayer? <laughs> I just want whatever God wants. Okay, well, what does he want? Okay, well, how, what do you want? Well, I don't know. I'm just whatever he wants. Well, how do you know when he comes through for you? How do you know when the, you have what he wants? I remember early on in Stacy and I's marriage, um, there, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd be praying for, for something and, you know, we'd be going through seasons where we're just like believing God for things. And then I remember like um, when that would continue and it wouldn't seem that there's like an answer, Stacy would be like distraught over this. And I, I'm like, I'm like, no, we're all good. I mean, everything's great. Like, why are we upset? You know, I mean, God's, God's good. He's on the throne. Like, we got everything we need. I mean, we're, all, we're okay. And then, like, the penny dropped one day. I think the reason why I'm kind of okay with this is not because I have greater faith, but because I wasn't specific with what I was asking for in the first place. This is not, this is not a sign of faith. It's actually a lack of faith. I was never courageous enough to ask God for the thing I really wanted. I wasn't putting my faith on the line. I was not Troy in the classroom Going, hey, all y'all. God's about to heal this kid. You know what I was doing? Hey, don't tell anybody. Like, don't tell anybody. Just, just look normal, okay? We're studying together. Lord, please take away this sore throat. And then when it didn't happen, I was like, oh, so God loves you anyway. We cover up our apathy and our complacency with faith talk. If I'm not disappointed because God didn't come through, did I believe it in the first place? Bartimaeus got specific because he believed Jesus had the ability and he was putting all his chips on Jesus. All in on black. Right? He was putting everything on it. And sometimes we don't get specific because we don't really believe. I'm not getting specific about what I'm asking for, what I want, where God sent me, because you know what? Then if he doesn't really do it, I'm not super disappointed. Because I'm like, I'm really general. Like, God, do something in Manchester. Like, anything. 
they put like a new cycle path in my road. I'm like, thank you, Lord. It was difficult to cycle into city center on Charlton Road. Thank you for that, Lord. Jesus is moving and the kingdom of God is coming to. But something happens when you take Jesus' question, what do you want seriously? Something happens when you dig down deep and you decide, I don't know. I'm too scared actually to answer that question, but I'm going to dig a little deeper and figure out what is it that I want. What is it deep down that I'm after? What is it that I believe he's promised me? What is it that I believe this word leads me to? What is it that I believe his counsel through, through wise leaders? What do I believe that all of that is pointing towards? And how, is that really at the bottom of my faith? Or am I just praying faith-sounding prayers, but it's really covering up a whole lot of unbelief and disappointment? What do you want? John Wesley says this. You're going to hear this quote often if you're going to hang around for, for a while. God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. I'm going to ask you this. What if God only did in your life, what you've asked him to do. What if he only did in Manchester what we've asked him to do? Is that list long? What if he only did in my family? What if he reserved his activity? It was not out there in some like vague, God moving land. But it was specific to what you've inquired, what you've asked, what you've been persistent, what you've groaned in prayer. What if he took you, you what if he took you seriously? Like he legit took you seriously. Like in your prayer time. Like he's there, he's like has his notepad. And then like 15 minutes later, after you check like Instagram and Facebook, I'm not trying to get no guilt trip here. I'm on that journey too. And then he came away, he's like, well, <laughs> well, there's one thing here, you know. Give me more followers on Instagram. I mean, what, I don't know. What, what, you know what, what if he took you seriously? What if he was asking you today, what do you want? What do you want? Man, would you come on up? What do you want? Here's the thing that we've learned from Bartimaeus about faith. Faith cries out. Faith pushes past the normal stopping point. The socially acceptable stopping point. The point where other people get uncomfortable. Like faith goes beyond that. Faith hears when Jesus is inviting you closer without promises. You know, Jesus didn't say, come closer and I'll heal you. Jesus, 
faith hears Jesus ask the question, what do you want me to do? Stand to your feet all around this room. Come on, I worship you.